I'm Peg Mulqueen. Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. When David Kyle was a little boy, he dreamed of growing up to be... A fire engine. That's right. A fire engine. A vehicle that goes around putting out fires. I mean, I'm, I love solving problems. Are you kidding me? Puzzles? Yes! As an anatomy teacher and neuromuscular therapist, David has spent most of his career working with people in pain and helping them find a way out. It sucks when things hurt. And you, of course you want it to go away. I think students are, are worried about getting it wrong and then either being scolded when they do get seen by a teacher, if they don't have a regular teacher, or that they're going to injure something. And it becomes a sort of fear-based practice without trusting their own body and their own experience. I mean, I've always thought of my body as a laboratory, and especially through yoga practice. I mean, I couldn't have written a book without having explored my body like it's a laboratory. Some of it was doing fixing stuff, but it was more like doing playing, what does that feel like? Doing playing, what does that feel like? This month, we have David Kyle after a week-long yoga retreat he and I host every summer here in Montana. Next month, David, the anatomy teacher, will launch his online 3D animated kinesiology course for anyone who wants to learn their muscles, functional movement, and how the asanas all fit together. But here today, we have David Kyle, the yoga teacher, and his approach to practice, which is a little less precise and a lot more experiential. I love the process, and the process is the same every time. What does it feel like? Ashtanga Dispatch is all about creating and supporting community. And this podcast would not be possible without the help of good friends like you who share our mission. Please visit ashtangadispatch.com backslash donate to learn ways you can help and contribute. Speed. Take one. <laughs> Action. <laughs> Come on. Man. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> It was a really good week. It was a good week. It was an amazing week. It was an amazing week. What was your favorite part? <laughs> uh, the huckleberry pie we just ate. It was really good, right? The best. Nice. That was... I, you know what? I don't think I've ever gone, picked berries, and then had them made into a pie and then ate it. I don't think that's ever... That, that has definitely never happened in my life before, so... Well, guess what? What? It's never happened in my life either. Really? I swear, I, every <laughs> year I look for the huckleberries. Every year. They come at different times and you have to really, the people that have lived here forever, they know what kind of summer it's been, what kind of winter. So there's like a roundabout time when they come in season and you got to know where they're going to be. But I have looked every year since I've moved here and I have never found them. I found them twice with you. I know. And by the way, no offense to the students who were here this week. Oh, yeah. Just saying, the huckleberry pie was really good. <laughs> I think they really enjoy stumbling <laughs> on the huckleberries, too, yeah. though. Yeah. What else? What else? What else did I like? Yeah, that comes in a far second from my huckleberry pie. <laughs> um, I, I really did enjoy the hike yesterday. 
not the foraging part so much as much as just going up the hill. I, I don't know on a five and a half mile hike either. So, so many firsts for me in my life this week. <laughs> it's different here. Yeah, especially coming from Miami where it's ocean and flat versus mountainous at elevation. Yeah, very different. Humid, dry. It's like the, it's like the polar opposite. Mm -hmm. But, and it's good. It's nice to feel that extreme sort of difference and change and you know because it points out the difference that you know it's let's not get too philosophical too quickly but you know it's the duality i like bringing people out here i love that well first of all we know that i do this out here these retreats out here because i can get you to come out and <laughs> and that's really special for me and i really also love having the students out here because I really love having other people and introducing them to kind of just a different way of living or looking at life and I feel like that's what's changed for me definitely slowed down we had a yoga retreat and all we've talked about is huckleberries and hiking <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I it's you're kind of in a, in a way Maybe it's not the right word, but you're kind of confronted with nature here in a way that you certainly wouldn't be in a city. I mean, that I'm not, I mean, in some ways, I, I mean, I go scuba diving and whatever, mm -hmm. and I'm confront. I, I kind of seek it out in a way, but here, like, you don't have a choice. Just go for a drive and, you know, you're surrounded by mountains and green and it's different. It's, it's in your face a little bit more somehow. Well, yeah, we got to the top and it started lightning and thundering. <laughs> and There we, was that. Yeah, and we're yeah. miles from... The, we walked in the rain. Yeah. You didn't have a choice. No choice. No. Yeah, so you're confronted with it in that way. Yeah. Some of the students were surprised at how much the heart rate elevated in doing this. I think <laughs> sometimes we associate the yoga practice with keeping us more than just healthy, but we look at it uh, as almost a workout. Like as this is, even though we want to say it's a spiritual practice, it's hard not to also lump it in with your... It's both. Yeah. It's, it's a spiritual, physical practice. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, the thing is, I mean, cardiovascular health is like a whole conversation, but I mean, I don't think... There are certain aspects of it that the yoga practice really kind of adds to in a very positive way. Um, because, and, it's, and you know, if you're controlling your breath and metering it, that does have a, an effect on cardiovascular health. Not in the same way that going up a mountain would or jogging or running or cycling would necessarily, but it does have a positive impact on it. Definitely. There's, there is actually research about um, equal inhalation, exhalation, and, and they've done some measurements with it relative to heart rate variability, for instance, which is a component of measuring cardiovascular health. I'm sure we, we haven't talked about that before? I don't think so. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a reference to that research in, um, in Buddha's Brain, the book Buddha's Brain. I, I think I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah. That was one of the so things. So explain that one more time. <laughs> 
<laughs> there, there was research that they were doing, and you know, there's been a lot of research on pranayamas and yeah. its effect on the nervous system and all this kind of stuff. But one of the measurements that they were doing, I think they were they were looking at it relative to what's called heart rate variability, which is the distance between the top of the heartbeat. So there's a the classic cycle that you see, QRB, where the R is the top of the the heartbeat itself. It kind of goes up and then it drops down and then it goes up. And I'm thinking about down. those lines on like ER, exactly. like on the shows. Totally, exactly, right. exactly. So the top of that, um, the distance between the tops of those, okay, is slightly varied, and the more varied it is the better your cardiovascular health is. Or at least it, it represents a component of that. That's what they call heart rate variability. And so the research pointed out that controlling the breath and making equal inhalation and exhalation contributed the most to heart rate variability, to an increase in heart rate variability. Well, well still... It actually ties back through the nervous system, of course. Just, you know, I mean, it's not like... Simple anatomy is never the right anatomy. It's always more complicated than we, which is fine. But, you know, you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. It's complicated. Kind of. It's complicated. But I think we, I think we think we can get everything we need from the yoga practice. I think there is a misnomer that it's going to do everything. Like if I have a yoga practice, I... <laughs> it'll fix everything? It'll, fi it'll fix everything. Cure everything, fix everything. Uh -huh. I'm closer to God and my body is in optimal condition, but it, I have found I need more. I don't want to say more because that sounds... Different. I need different. Yeah. That's okay. I don't, I don't think... I mean, we idealize the practice, right? Because it's so transformative and we feel such positive effects from it, especially when we start, you know, we hit that, that curve, that steep learning curve and change and benefits is like amplified and it's just like, boom, it's in our face. And so we go, wow, this is totally transformative, which is true, it's not false. But then we idealize it in some way that it's then going to maintain that level of wowness in a sense and, and then we because we idealize it we think it can just fix everything and do everything for us but it it can't it can just it just becomes another pattern like all the other patterns and we can hide behind it just the same way we hide behind all kinds of other stuff in our lives not to get too no, no, no we got to take it back to anatomy all right, we're gonna, we're, no, we, we are taking it back to it but okay. <laughs> you said hide behind that's the thing is the cardio going back to the heart rate up mm. there's something about going up a mountain it feels exhilarating yes I feel a little tired I would not impose that in my yoga practice and yet I only realize it's missing when I'm going up the mountain and realize that how mm. much I yeah well it's a different intention too so to be fair to the practice you know it has a particular intention and it's cultivating certain qualities and I mean I, I think what's happened also is I think I think a lot of the health benefits that come from yoga practice I think they were always originally I think perceived or really seen as more like side benefits they weren't the primary focus and right? that's what I was that's what I yeah, yeah they weren't were they no but they happened as a byproduct of 
But most of the health health benefits that we really get from it are go back to the nervous system and then that nervous system relationship back to how it affects our mind and our experience through the nervous system of the world. Because like the general, the general outcome, have we talked about the um, review paper? On, um, the, it was, there was, um, was a review paper that came out last year, October 2018, that was really good. They looked at all of the contemplative um, practices and they included, they kind of broke it into two categories, con- contemplative movement practices like Tai Chi and yoga, and then meditation practices, and that was subcategorized to death. There's, there's a whole bunch of different things there. Um, and basically they were looking for similarities in all of these things. Like what's the underlying thing that creates the outcomes? So those outcomes are you know, usually to do with you know, the happiness scale and um, reactivity and like a whole slew of physiological benefits and and they theorized after looking at all of that review that it's a respiratory, respiratory vagal response that's going on. And so basically, the common thread through all of them is breathing and how we pay attention to our breath. And so when you pay attention to your breath, that affects the nervous system. And then that is really what creates a lot of the good feelings that come from doing practice. You know, of course, can you measure blood pressure and heart rate and all of those things are also affected by it differently than it would be going up a mountain or jogging or all of those kinds of things. But actually, breathing is what does it in the practice. And so, again, that's still on the side benefit because, you know, in the beginnings of yoga, it was really about controlling the mind. Controlling the mind to calm it down. Why? to recognize one's true nature. And so as you do these practices and focus on your breath and challenge it at the same time while doing a posture, let's say, and as you cultivate these things, then those benefits reveal themselves quite naturally. That's what everybody's you know high on. That's what everybody loves about the practice. Now, it also depends on your intention and your focus while you're doing the practice. You know, that matters. If you treat it like an exercise, it'll be more like an exercise. If you treat it more like a contemplative practice, it will be more like a contemplative practice, but that's true of anything you do. If you go for a bike ride to go for a bike ride, then that's what you do. If you do it as a contemplative practice, you'll have a contemplative bike ride. I mean, this isn't tricky stuff. It's so what you bring to it changes it. It's, it's doing versus being. Are you gonna do the practice or are you gonna be the practice? You know, and, and early in the early stages of practice, of course, you're going to do it, right? Oh, I got to turn my foot this way. This is how you do this pose. You do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. Now I'm doing the pose. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just a switch that happens at some point. So it happens whenever it happens for you. But at some point you realize that the doing isn't the important part. The doing is never ending anyway. Like you can always fix it. You can always make it better, look better, feel better. You know, you know, and it's like, and, and, or do more, do more postures, do more advanced postures, but a lot of the, the benefit isn't from doing more of them or fixing them more. 
of course the refinement matters and doing is super important in the beginning because you have to figure it out so that you can embody it and then be it. And so it's like the difference between doing triangle and being a triangle. That's what you've given up is that the, the, act, the, the desire to make it something and instead just let it be whatever it is. You know, but there's, you have to go through the process to get to that point. It's a duality again. You know, the doing is the right or the wrong way, the good or the bad, you know, the safe or the unsafe. But the being is much more loose and a little, I don't want to go too far, but it's more non-dual because you're just in the experience, not trying to fix it, not trying to break it. But, I, I, and this is, I think it's an important it's important thing to remember about all the practice, and I said it a bunch this week, it's like, you know, I look at it from the teaching point of view is, how do I allow the student to go through their process, whether that's on an individual posture, or on the practice level, and not try to fix it, or, or get them to switch from where they are to where I am, without having gone through whatever process they are, I only assume that I'm in the right place, but that might not be true. But, you know, how do you nudge somebody in the direction that you think they need to go and at the same time allow them to have their process? And, you know, we've all gone through that, but... So how do you? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> just, one, be... Uh, I, I shouldn't say one, because I don't know that there's a two to follow, but it feels like there should be, so... Uh, one aspect of it is definitely, you know, recognize, I, I say this in the observation workshops, you know, start to recognize your bias or your desire to fix something and that assumption that there's something actually wrong there. You know, maybe it's okay how it is for now. And it's like when I, when I change something in somebody's practice, I try to give it some context or relativeness. It's like, oh, well, what you've been doing is, has been working so far, but maybe this will take you to the next step, so try it this way. Oh, that's different. Oh, that, oh well, I, you should assume that this is also going to change. Like, the technique you're going to use for whatever posture it is should change as your body changes. Why would we do Marichasana D when we've gone through second and third series uh, in, the, in that way? Should we do that as a primary series practitioner? You know what I mean? Like, if you open your body to that depth and level, you're going to apply a different technique to a posture like Marichasana D than somebody who's only meeting Marichasana D for the first time. And so, as a teacher, you have to see them for where they are. And not judge it, and not try to leapfrog stuff. Just let them have their process. Their body still needs to open. Like, What's the direction you can push it in rather than the way in which you can fix it? Because sometimes that trying to fix it actually breaks it. Hopefully not often, but... But a lot of times people think things need to be fixed in themselves that don't even need to be fixed, right? Totally from the practitioner side as well. Practitioners, you know, they'll watch videos. That's where the biases come from. Even from the teaching point of view, it's the same thing. But from a practitioner point of view, you watch people who are advanced doing a posture and you think you're supposed to do it that way. But if, you're, if you live in a different body 
and you're not that open, and you haven't been doing it as long, you should not be doing it the way they do it. You should be doing it the way you need to do it. Now that's harder to figure out if you don't have the context and the experience and all that, but hopefully that's where the convergence of teacher and student come together to figure it out for that person. We're scared of making mistakes. Yeah. I agree. I think students are, are worried about getting it wrong and then either being scolded when they do get seen by a teacher if they don't have a regular teacher or that they're going to injure something and it becomes a sort of fear-based practice without trusting their own body and their own experience. You know, and if, if you don't have a lot of experience then it's hard to trust yourself. Am I being lazy? Am I pushing too hard? Like these questions and this is where it comes back to yeah, sometimes you're going to make a mistake. Sometimes you're going to maybe fall into, let's call it laziness for a second, and not push yourself quite hard enough for growth or change to happen. And sometimes you're going to push yourself too hard. And then reverse is going to happen. You know, the opposite happens. You don't grow, it actually goes backwards. But that's part of the journey and that's part of the process. But you have to be okay to try and if you make a mistake, you learn from it. Doesn't Everybody knows about silver linings. I mean, come on. Everybody makes up the silver lining for everything else in their life. There's no reason not to do it for mistakes that you make in practice. We only do that looking back. We're in the <laughs> middle of it. It just feels dark and scary and vulnerable. Mm. And looking back, there's so many things I can look back on my life and go, wow, I really learned so much from that, whether it's an injury or uh, any kind of suffering. I'm not saying I was not going like this. Not that I wish any suffering on myself or on anybody else, but I do know that those challenging times have been specifically confusing. I never understand them until after they don't actually matter. Until I'm looking back. Everybody's had that experience. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you. I agree. It's hard to know when you're in it, though. I notice teaching with when I'm with you because you are the anatomy expert. Oh, yeah. You are. You're like the doctor. You're like Dr. Ashtanga. I, I know enough to know that I don't know. <laughs> but you do seem to bring out, I, I was going to say bring out the injuries. I do not mean that. I mean, <laughs> I mean when somebody is having pain in their body, and listen, everybody has pain in their body at one point or another. You are the one we go to. We go, <laughs> Dr. Dave, yeah, <laughs> Dr. Dave right. what, what is this? It's my blah, blah, blah in my leg and it does this. And what if I line <laughs> this up? And they come to you and they say, help me fix yes. me. After we just got done talking about all the fixing. You, it, you treat it in a very interesting way. <laughs> Really? You do. What do you mean? Well, let's face it. Hey, can you think of any... I mean, you... 80% of the people that come in with you, they have a... And I'm putting... It's saying injury in air quotes because there are injuries and, I, and there are pains and they feel injurious and... Yeah. What do we do with that stuff? Because it does seem to... I was going to say, I don't want to say that it comes up a lot, but when you're in your body and you're aware of things going on in your body, you're going to notice when things 
aren't feeling good more readily. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to make, it's making people question. And yes. So we'll bring it back to where you started. Yes. Because we'll, we'll, let's wrap it in some context. Um, one is what we were talking about earlier in terms of um, everybody thinks the yoga practice is going to fix everything. Yes. And so they're very surprised when something comes out of it that doesn't feel like a fixing, but it feels more like a hurting. Um, you know, and I don't want to... Number one, we're doing a physical... I don't know why I keep doing the numbering thing, but we're doing a physical practice. And any physical activity that you do is always going to have some level of either dysfunction or what we call injury associated with it. Runners, cyclists, rock climbers, skiers, go down the list, all of it. Every single one of them are going to have injuries that, that in a sense come out of it. So there's this one part of the yoga thing that it seems like it should never hurt you and it's because it's a spiritual practice and we wrap it in all of that stuff. And I, I wouldn't say that's false. I mean, should it injure you? You should do your best to avoid hurting yourself. And, you know, you have to think about the times when you do hurt yourself. And, you know, the simple way I say it is usually when you're not being yourself, meaning you're not paying attention to your body. You're trying to do something you're either not ready for or it's too much for you. Or you're trying to do it like somebody who you're not instead of doing it like yourself. And so that all of that kind of creates some some components to it. And the other thing is... Sometimes it's the practice, sometimes you do get injured from practicing, it is, that does happen. Um, but sometimes it's also revealing underlying stuff that's there or has been there already. And because you're moving your body in a very particular way, it starts to show up, it points out imbalances. And then you're changing those imbalances and your body spent a lot of years, usually, getting to getting accommodated and accommodating these postural patterns and stuff like that. And so when you start to change them, sometimes it brings up stuff and muscles will tighten or loosen and you have pain as a result of that. So the, the tricky part is figuring out what type it is and then of course what to do with it. Right? That's, and again, depending on your level of experience and how many times you've been through things or, you know, it's hard to figure it out in the moment. And then you feel scared and you, 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 you get vulnerable, you feel vulnerable. And so you get scared to move in particular ways or, I mean, it's very complex. It's not like a simple thing like, oh, I did Lotus and my knee popped. It's never, that's, there's always more to that story. How much do you need to understand? So say I have, say I come to you. I mean, I mean, okay. Say I come to you and right. I say, David, my, I feel something in my left shoulder. My left shoulder, right up at the top, I, f I feel something, and it hurts sometimes. What, how much do I need to under, how do you, when do I need to know everything that's going on in the shoulder, around the shoulder, and name the parts, and, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm being really yeah. dead on serious, yeah. but. 
What's your first question today? Is it David, my top of my shoulder? The, the, the thing I always, I mean, usually it comes with a story wrapped around it. I was doing X or I was, this happened and then that happened. And this has always been, I've always had a weird feeling on this side and blah, blah, blah. And I usually try to get somebody to just tell me what it feels like. Because the stories are trying to make meaning out of it, trying to figure it out. And sometimes they're, they're true stories. And sometimes they have no basis in anatomical reality. So, you know, it's like, or it's a mixture of the two. Half of it's true and half of it isn't true. So I always try to get back to what does it feel like? Because once I figure out, once somebody tells me what it feels like, is it a dull achy thing? Is it a shooting pain? Is it sharp and pointy? Like those different qualities of sensation are going to lead me down different paths. So it is actually, if I were going to give a step one, would yeah. be to figure out the quality of it. Now, the next part is hard is because even though those different qualities mean something to me, how, how do I unpack that? And there's always exceptions to them as well. And so, and this is the other thing to remember is like the stories are hypotheses about it, where it came from, how it started. I'm just going to make up a story anyway. The difference is my stories are not me living in the body inside the pain and really wanting to figure out why. It's me looking at it objectively <laughs> and having the anatom having a good amount of anatomical knowledge and having seen so many people who have come to me with their shoulder pain that I'm more likely to kind of move in a direction and test it and see what's going on. So the type of pain matters. So a dull ache as opposed to a shooting pain down the arm. Right. So if I go very basic here, don't take this like too literally. I'm, but I'm doing this for a reason. I have, I have to. Oh, have I'm sure. I'm, I'm talking to those people oh, inside the microphone okay. there guys, that are hiding that don't realize they're listening. hiding. Yeah. Um, but things that are shooting moves my mind more towards nervy things, something like that. Dull achiness. Um, either muscular dysfunction in a general way or trigger points. There's a whole other conversation. Um, and, and, and what's important about that is sometimes it's not coming from the place where it hurts. It's just not. So that's the other thing to hold. You have to hold that in your mind at the same time. This is, this, these are the mental calculations that go on in my brain, okay? And I can't help it anymore. It just happens. He's and it happens. He's twitching. <laughs> and it happens like instantaneously. Like it's kind of what we call intuition. Like somebody like, oh, and I go like, and then the next thing is I need to see somebody move. Like show yeah. me or, or what postures does it hurt in? Because then it's going to start to narrow down what type of movement it is. And then you can narrow type of movement down to type which muscles do that movement, which ones oppose it because it could still be either at that point. And then you start to whittle it, whittle things down. And then in order to like take it to the next step, it's like, well, if you're doing this, I'm, I'm pushing my elbow to the side if I, like a chicken wing. Like, oh, it hurts when I do this. You know, you go to the doctor and go, it hurts every time I do this. And the doctor's like, don't do that anymore. You know, um, it's not quite like that. But if it hurts every time you do it, what I would do is I would just change the pattern. Like if I did nothing else, I would say, oh, let's move the arm this way. Instead of, if the arm hurts when you take it out to the side and over your head, then I'll take it in front of you and go, and go over the head. Does that change it? 
Does that make any difference at all? Yes, no, how about, okay, that didn't make a difference, I'm gonna exaggerate the external rotation in the shoulder before it goes up. Does that make a difference or no difference? Okay, if that didn't do anything, go extreme internal rotation and lift the arm up, which is very awkward. I wouldn't generally default there, but I just start trying different movements because all of that information then starts to tell you, well, is it pinching because the bone's bumping too soon? Or is certain muscles engaged when you externally rotate? Or different, because different, it'll be different muscles that are engaged when you internally rotate? And it doesn't matter what the name of those muscles are, you just start to do it in a different way. Just, I mean, just start with that. If you can isolate it down to a particular movement. You can't always, though, so that's the next problem. So then it's going to be a, sort of like a conglomeration of movements. And this is true wherever it is. You know, it's like this week, like, <laughs> if you've been bending your knee, if you have sit bone pain and you've been bending your knee for nine months and it hasn't changed, what happens if you straighten it for the next week and a half? Okay, so let's For go instance, there. Let's go there. Where? Sit bone pain? Well, isn't that your number one Googled? Num number one. It's not? It is, yeah. It is. Oh, it is. Yeah, sit bone pain is like, so that's like number one. A lot of people, and not just yogis either. Yeah, no, 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 I'm no, it's not yeah, just yogis. not blaming yoga for this. Um, and it can happen for more than one reason. Where do you think the resistance is? So, so yes, the bending, and I was one of those people, by the way, uh, decade ago, bending my knee. Absolutely. You know? I was too. Oh, you were? How do you think I discovered that straightening the knee made it better? Get out. In my case. In some cases. Not all cases, but... Oh, yeah. I was on my way to, um, to teach anatomy for John. and John Scott. John Scott. And a student... Oh, I wish I could remember her name. She was from somewhere in Scandinavia. She had sit bone pain. She knew I was coming and I was going to be teaching the anatomy. And you were going to fix it. And, and of course, I was going to fix it right away. And she asked me about basically about sit bone pain to keep it simple. And I was going through my own sit bone pain thing at the time. And so I started to analyze. And I realized I was at this point in my practice. This is probably like two to three years in. I hadn't, I hadn't popped my hamstring or torn my hamstring in an obvious way. It just started, just sort of came on. So it can happen in both of those ways, right? It can start for different reasons. Um, and so anyway, I started exploring it. I started analyzing it and thinking about it and basically taking myself through my own process. Well, what, how do the hamstrings work and why would that be? And, and what I realized was I was being lazy in my knees. In other words, I wasn't engaging my, my, my leg. I wasn't straightening my knee in forward bends. I don't naturally have open hamstrings, and then they were definitely not open. One day I'll pull out the old, somebody got a photo of me in Kormasana on blocks, and like, anyway, I don't know where that came from, but it was around that same time, to be quite honest, because it was early days. And so, um, so I, I tested it on myself, I said, give me a couple weeks, I'll get back to you. And so... What I sussed out, for me especially, was since I was getting lazy in my knees, I did the opposite. I engaged my legs more than I, I probably needed to, but it was like if I was being in that extreme for that period of time, then I was going to go in the opposite direction and see what happened. And the sit bone pain was gone in a week. In my case. 
but you did something for, I mean, forget about straightening or bending. You took a risk and did something different. Yes, I did. I mean, I've always thought of my body as a laboratory. Definitely. And especially through yoga practice. I mean, I couldn't have written a book without having explored my body like it's a laboratory. And, and, that's, and, and that's the thing. It wasn't in a... Some of it was doing fixing stuff, but it was more like doing playing. What does that feel like? Doing playing. What does that feel like? Why is that true? And then on top of that, seeing students with... Because then, you know, like when I look at students now, I, they almost start to drop into types. Physically speaking, in the way they move or the way that hamstring tension plays itself out or the back open back bend plays itself out or whatever it is that feeding into it as well so it's not just my own personal laboratory but the observation of other laboratories well I guess they're guinea pigs in a way at that point for me but but I was willing to take the risk I was willing to try the opposite of what I was doing because it, it, it almost makes sense to bend your knee when you have sit bone pain. And sometimes that is the appropriate thing to do. That, that can be well, true. Because it takes all the sensation out. Sensation's scary. So if you've yeah. had pain somewhere and you have a way to completely take away not just the pain, but also the sensation, and then Absolutely. you go there and You're then right. that becomes... A, a, and it's not avoidance because we're lazy or avoidance because it's because... We're scared and you forget. And even yeah. I have seen people come in and they don't know when they say they'll feel something and it's hard in that moment to define whether it's pain or just a feeling hmm. or do you know what I mean? It, sure. And so you, if you just don't feel it at all, then you're safe. Yeah. I wonder if we do that with our emotions as well. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Humans avoiding suffering. I think that's in the Yoga Sutras or something. Is there something about that in the Sutras? Hmm. Anyway, yes, of course we... Back to the anatomy. Back to the anatomy. Put me on safe ground, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's, you know, there's a certain amount of avoidance of it because then it feels like if it's hurting, it's wrong. Right. But but it's really, you know, pain in the body is really, it's a it's like a cautionary flag going up like, um, hello, pay attention to me. Hello, pay attention to me. It, it's not a yellow flag that says, hello, uh, ignore me. Hello, avoid me. It's a cautionary flag. Pay attention. It's attracting your attention to it. So do that. That doesn't mean dive in a, a hundred thousand percent. It doesn't mean avoid. It's... And, as I was saying, you know, explore it. What happens if you rotate your leg? Like, I, I mean, I literally just, I dare say, I make it up on the fly with somebody because I don't know what's going to work. I just look at what they're doing and then I do something different. Does it change it? And then I ask the question, why does it change it? What's it changing? And, and keep going down that path. I just keep going down that path until I feel like we have enough information. And, you know, it's an interesting... 
thing that happens usually with those students as we do that, it's like just as much as I'm doing it for my own benefit to understand because I find these things amazing and fascinating, um, they're learning a process. And they're going, oh, it's okay to experiment. I mean, they're not saying that out loud, but it's like, oh, I don't know. I've never tried it that way. I've never done it any differently than my teacher told me to do it because I'm scared something will happen. Well, something did happen. So maybe try it differently than however, however you ended up doing it. Like, I don't know. It seems a little obvious to me when I say it out loud that way, but... It does. <laughs> but, and I don't mean it that way. It's not obvious to do that because we have this sort of disciplined way of moving through things. But there's always exceptions, so... <laughs> when do you get to the diagnosing part? A diagnosis is an educated guess. And uh, a more and more refined educated guess. Some things are easy. Oh, I've seen that before. Oh, the pain's there? Oh, I know. oh, don't move. Oh, that's it! That's it! You know, those are easy for me because I've seen it so many times. I could almost diagnose it. What is it? Oh, it's a trigger point in your whatever. Or it's this. Or your knee hurts on the inside. That's a little bit more easy to deal with because you see it so many times. It's the more elusive ones that I find you know, more attractive these days because they really challenge me. <laughs> I, I love it. I love the process. And the process is the same every time. What does it feel like? Okay. Maybe it's something in that direction. Okay. Let's try moving your body differently. Or I'll look at the, my own beliefs about how we should be moving and where we should be moving from. And if, I know, and if it's obvious that they're not moving in that way, I try making them move in that way and see if something happens. Like I might be right and I might not be. But we certainly won't know if we don't try. And obviously doing it the way you've been doing it that's caused the problem is not the correct way for you. I shouldn't say this, but your eyes do light up when, it, when, <laughs> when you start. But you in the process, you enjoy the process. Oh I, my! I mean, I'm I love solving problems. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Puzzles? Yes. I mean, this week it was a new one. Like you know. Um, oh yeah, the upper back. The uh, upper back either. thing, and coming out of a twist, and I'm like. So wow. upper back was hurting, coming out of a twist, and yeah, unexplainable, no, nothing. Yeah, and, and it wasn't just the neck, it was below the neck, like C7 down for the anatomy people out there. So below the bottom of the neck line, like in that trapezius area, top part. And it was like a sharp kind of like, oh, she described it as a nervy thing. And I'm like, what the, wow, with that? And you know, and I'm, I'm going through my thing. I'm doing my process. Wait, what does it feel like again? Explain it to me. And it only happens when you do what? And that's the conversation we had. And I'm like, so I tried one thing and she's like, mm, that doesn't feel good. And usually when I poke on somebody, it doesn't feel good because I know the spots in every muscle that really are not gonna feel good. Um, but I wasn't getting that feeling like that was it. Um, and so we did two things. One, I went to that area to touch it to see what was going on. And two, and the bigger thing was, I changed her from using her trapezius to raise her arms and shoulder blades over her head to using her serratus more. That was the other big thing is we totally took her arms this way instead of letting her arms go this way. 
So just bringing the arms up in the air in a different way, yep. which is something we rarely ever think about. Why it's would we? It works. My arm goes over my head. Why would I think about why or how I'm doing that? But you know, everybody stopped listening already. Why? Because everybody really wants to know the answer. You're talking in generalities of pain. That yeah. really is what you talk about in the room, isn't it? Always. I, I mean, I get emails regularly, even though I have this very obvious line in bold above the contact form that says, please don't tell me about your injury and ask me to diagnose it and tell you what you should do via email because it's not really possible. And I still, imagine if I didn't have that. Well, that's how it used to be. And so people send me these very specific things. I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. What posture should I do and should I not do? And I literally, my first thing, my first reaction is like, I don't know. Because I don't know you. You haven't really described what it feels like. And um, I haven't seen you move. Why would I give you advice on how, how could I possibly assume that everybody with a labral tear or a degeneration in you know, their lumbar vertebrae or a rotator cuff tear or whatever it is, is exactly the same and everybody should be treated the same way. I mean, does that make any sense? Should it, oh, it, should it be formulaic? That's what I usually tell these people. This isn't formulaic, sorry. I, I'm nicer than that. But generally, I'm like, there's no formula for this. I'm sorry you have this pain. Explore this. I have this article, this article, and even in my articles, it's like, I don't ever give an answer. I don't give an answer to sit bone. If you go to the sit bone pain page, it's like, okay, so maybe it came from this, 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 or this. Which of, and what I do is I put like, what does it feel like? Does it feel like this, 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 or this? If it feels like this, go to this section. If it feels like this, go to this section. But that doesn't mean don't read the other sections because you could be one of the exceptions. And so I, I wish it were formulaic. How much easier would it be if it were formulaic? The thing for me is I think, I think some teachers can do that formulaic thing, but I know too much to know that it can't really be formulaic. I mean, some simple things can be maybe, and it doesn't mean we don't start with formula. There's nothing wrong with starting with formula, and if it works, great until it doesn't, and then what do you do? Let's say we hurt our wrist in our yoga practice. We think we hurt our wrist because we put it down on the floor and whatever. No, it's probably been building, it's connected to your shoulder, the distance between your hands and your feet maybe, and a whole bunch of other things potentially. How much you've been on your phone texting, how you hold the wheel of your car, what kind of job you do. Like it's, you, unfortunately, all of those things could potentially be part of why your wrist hurt when you did, you know, chaturanga that time or whatever posture. And that requires a lot of kind of right brain. I was going to say uncertainty. Un same thing. Same thing. A lot of not knowing. You know, left brain is very organized, wants the answer kind of thing. Right brain is, it, most people see it as more creative, but that's not, that's a simplified version of it. It's okay with the not knowing as well. That's part of it. It's like, it lets things bounce around and let's see, and I don't know, and all of, that's how it feels like to me anyway, but, and I'm super organized. 
I can go super left brain. But when it comes to things like injuries and these kinds of conversations around this stuff, I kind of have to all hold it up in my brain in a way that it doesn't get codified, classified, and formulaed very quickly. Otherwise, I'm probably going to miss the solution. Most of the time, what I see you doing with students <laughs> Uh-oh. is giving them permission to experiment. Yeah. Is oh, giving yeah. them permission that saying they want to that know. That wasn't so bad. You. Okay. No. Kidding. <laughs> We're recording. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that you will sit down with them. They come in and they have. They tell you about pain in the shoulder. Pain, and there's lots of big names for it. And and muscles and everything going this, on. The whole, the whole thing. And then it goes back years or whatever. But they want to be heard. And that's understandable because mm-hmm. if you've been hurt mm-hmm. and you don't know that your teacher understands the pain, then it's hard to trust that they won't <laughs> respect the pain also yeah. when it happens. But I see you listening, not diagnosing. You're, you, you do tap dancing around the not di- I mean, I, I watch <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm good at not giving an answer. You are really good at not giving an answer. But allowing them to start by asking questions of them, it starts to feel safer to do that research in their own feelings. Like you give like it's it's okay for them to explore their bodies. And I know this sounds simplified and probably ridiculously easy, but it's not because I watch the students, when they're working with you and they're in pain and they're scared, they're so afraid. So this doesn't happen like instantaneously. No. They're, where's the fear? Why are we so afraid? And I know I'm asking, I, this is not a real question, but it is in a way because why are we so afraid to experiment in our practice? Why are we so afraid to explore in the one place I think we're supposed to be able to? Uh, it's a good question. I, I, I mean, again, we were talking about idealizing the practice and like there's all of these rules in the practice and I think, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. That maintains a certain amount of, certain parameters inside of which we practice. However, if something else is going on, if there's pain or injury or whatever, however we're calling that, then it's a moment to, like we said, it's the yellow flag. Hello, pay attention to me. That means use all of your experience and all of your knowledge of your own body. And I'm hoping that everybody out there has been paying attention to the fact that they live inside of their body and they know what it feels like to be in their body. You use all of that experience as the foundation to explore from. Not, not You're not avoiding that because you're exploring or changing or modifying or experimenting or whatever it is, that does, you're not avoiding practice. You didn't use the word fix. No. It's important. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I, it's kind of like I say this a lot. It's like a lot of people, you know, like, even if it's a change in their practice or an experiment, it's not like you're going to flick a switch and then you're going to do it this way and now it's going to be fine. Which is, I just don't see that happen very often it does happen in certain ways like when if it's a very obviously oh you've been going that way like hey doc it hurts when i go like this don't go like that oh that feels better 
you know, I mean, in a sense, that's like flicking a switch. And occasionally that happens, but it's just, I think, I think it's, it depends on the situation, but if you haven't had a teacher that has allowed you to own your practice and made sure that they built up your confidence and your ownership of your practice, you're scared that you're breaking some rule. Even if you're a home practitioner, you feel guilty for like breaking some unwritten rule about how you're supposed to do the practice. But that's not, that, that, that's not really a rule. It's not a rule. From the beginning, from going to Mysore, watching people injured, they didn't force them to do things the way they were supposed to be done in the ideal version. They modified. And so, I don't know where the whole thing, it's hard to really understand, but it's like, I think you have to take your own experience, you have to start to trust yourself, you have to own your practice, or as I say, if you've been practicing for a while, you're probably an adult. <laughs> Most of you listening are probably adults anyway, like literally in life, but probably an adult in your practice. Like own it, take responsibility for it. Don't rely on somebody else to fix it. Don't send me the email asking me to fix your problem when I've never met you, seen you or anything. Like start exploring, start to change small things. See if you can figure out one thing that makes a difference in how it feels, and when, especially when it's feeling bad. It's like everybody thinks if you can find the perfect alignment, then you'll never have pain. Right! Or nothing will ever go wrong. That is such a lie. Because then, because what's the, the epitome of alignment cue, kind of comes out of the Iyengar tradition. I mean, just generally speaking, and I'm not slagging off that as a tradition at all. Not, not at all. Lots of good stuff um, has come out of that. But that would also imply that there has never been an Iyengar practitioner who's ever felt pain in their body. If that's the epitome, and that's going to work, that alignment is what's going to do it, but that's not true. I know from my own survey, we had Iyengar practitioners who had injuries, who had pain. Not to mention as many of them that I've known over the years who of course have had things show up in their body. So alignment is not our ideas of what is alignment that we give as a general rule into a classroom is a great starting place. There's nothing wrong with it unless it doesn't work for you and your body or you still end up with pain for some reason. And sometimes it's not because the alignment is wrong or bad or that alignment cue is wrong or bad. It's you putting your body into a place relative to the body posture problems that you came in with and then the two working against each other creates friction and you end up in pain. Is it the fault of the yoga or is it the fault of the body pattern? Or is it just nobody's fault and it's just what's showing up? And so yes, of course you can overthink it. And this is what people force me into all the time with the anatomy <laughs> is making me think. You seem angry. <laughs> I'm just stuck in the anatomy box. You know, it's good to have the anatomy knowledge. I mean, I it's served me so well, especially with teaching, because it's like, it's another layer of objectivity. Um, 
but it could certainly get in the way. Like, that's not the kind of thinking I think we should be doing in our practice. Like, I don't think about my anatomy while I'm practicing, unless I'm bumping into some sensation, that, and then I'm exploring that, and then my mind will quickly go, well, maybe it's this or that or whatever, and then I'll move in some different way and see if it's still there, What you know, whatever. But mostly I use it for other people when there's issues or the technique's not working or I'm trying to understand what's, you know, but it doesn't always need to be named. Is it that we want to understand or do we want to believe? You have that knowledge, but you apply it in the problem solving process. Oftentimes when we go into that analytic thinking, we're trying to alleviate the fear, like, is if we know more, yeah. we won't have to be afraid. The more we know, the more we can explain that either A, we won't have to feel any pain, <laughs> B, I guess we'll yeah. fix it so we won't have to feel any pain. Sure, sure. Yeah, that, that sounds right to me. I mean, it's the knowing, you know, it's because it's the right, wrong, it's, it's sort of that duality part of it. But I, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to trust the unknown. Will it get better? You know, I mean, I, you know, it sucks when things hurt. And you, of course you want it to go away. You know, and I, I don't think there's, I don't th I'm not sure that, I don't know how easy it would be to not think about it. I mean, the yellow flag is saying, hey, look at me. And look at me means, you know, think about me. You know, figure out something so I don't have to feel this anymore. I, I think that's natural. Um, but you can certainly wind it up more and create more stress. Or you get so wrapped up in it that it actually um, makes it worse. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen that. And again, it's, it goes back to what you're talking about, this sort of fear, stress, anxiety kind of vibe around it that creates a certain amount of tension, and then you start guarding around it, you know? And, and you know, it's definitely, I, I, I see that in people. People are scared, like, oh, my knee hurts, and, you know, no, so don't, let's not, you know. I mean, I've had people put up resistance to, initially at least, to working with their pain. No, it hurts. Uh, it's been like that for a while and, and nothing feels better. Really? Nothing feels better? So if you straighten your knee, does it feel better? Yes. Oh, so something does feel better. You know, or I say, well, look, if it hurts, you're going to tell me. But if, you know, let's try this. Oh, oh, that feels better as well. Lift the knee up higher, let's say. Like, oh yeah, that does feel better. Okay, so there are things that make it feel better. And, you know, this is, you know, me and my process of, you know, getting people to open up a little bit. And sometimes when you show people that possibility, and that's why I encourage you to explore doing it differently, and maybe even the opposite of what you think it's supposed to be. Because if you find that little piece of how it feels better or where it feels better, it all of a sudden points out this possibility of, oh, maybe I won't have to live with this pain for the rest of my life. Like, that's the dramatic size sort of version of it when we're trying to figure it out and looking stuff up on Google and, oh my God, how do I get rid of this? And it's just building and building and building. Um, but just finding a place where you can put, say, your knee, where you're kind of in the pose and it doesn't hurt, you're like, oh, 
Maybe it's not as bad as I thought. And just that slight turn and switch, um, sometimes that alone is enough for it to start unwinding and letting go in some sort of way. I don't mean literally, but um, where the pain just starts falling away. It's like the new, the new thing that now instead of it getting pushed higher and higher and stronger and stronger and more and more, it's now going, oh, less and less and softer and easier and not so much and not so intense. It's like figuring out what that one thing is, you know, and a lot of it comes back to the fear and stress and the anxiety and just giving somebody something to hold on to. That one thing that opens it up a little bit and gives it some space. The world isn't ending. My life isn't over. You know, I'm being dramatic, but it's, it's kind of feels that way. Sometimes. It does feel like that. In the, yeah. uh, let me just say that. When you're I've had injuries. Of, yeah. I, 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 yeah, no, as I, the anatomy teacher, I've had injuries. So trust me, my world felt like it was falling apart. I mean, oh my God, who am I? I? How did I tear my meniscus? Oh my God, I'm the anatomy teacher. I'm the teacher, period. What kind of example am I setting? What kind of what kind of bad yogi am I? I mean, you know, it's like so. I know it well, and you know, that helps me have empathy and compassion for people when they're dealing with it. You know, Billy was taking the truck. My son Billy was taking the truck to Glacier um, mm-hmm. two weeks ago, and he's never taken the truck on a long trip or whatever. And Robert was giving him the whole speech. Be careful. <laughs> of course. You know, go, you know, giving him the whole thing. And I just gave him a hug and I whispered in his ear and I said, I know you'll be careful. I know you'll, I know you will do your very best. Just know if anything does happen, it's okay. Things happen sometimes. Just call me. Like, <laughs> because things sometimes do happen. Mistakes are going to happen. We're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen that we can't predict and you said space. If we can create space and know that there is space for that and that it's okay, that it's not the end of the world, I feel like it's easier to accept, not accept, yeah, accept, to work with, to face, to be with, whatever. I guess that's when I've looked at my yoga practice, things are going to happen. I'm not just there, but obviously outside the yoga practice, I love the way you opened up that exploration. I love the way you do that in the room and the way you've explained it here. It's just creating the space for people to be able to explore and not feel A, that one way is right or wrong, that they'll be judged, and you, you don't you don't seem to use the word like uh, surrender to you or um, <laughs> <laughs> no baby partner with. It's I mean teaching is about relationship. It's about the relationship between teacher and student. And teachers are students, and when if they ever get to the point where they think they're not a student anymore, <laughs> they're probably not a great teacher. Because the students are teaching, the students are reflecting. Not a reflection of necessarily, but reflecting something back. Not to be identified with, but to learn from. The practice is something else to reflect. It's going to teach you things. It's going to point out things. 
Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's spiritual. Always learning. That's why I, I like the relationship. I enjoy teaching because I'm learning. And helping at the same time. And pointing out the learning process. Three things somebody who is in pain should... Somebody who's in pain right now, three things that you might recommend for them. If you haven't figured it out already, figure out what body position makes it feel better relative to what body position makes it feel worse. So you know. Two, give yourself permission to change the way you're practicing so you can get closer to that position where it doesn't hurt until you understand more or figure out more. And then three, once things calm down, start exploring even further and whittling things down. That sounded so simple. Oh my God, did you just come up with that? I, had, I didn't I, even tell you I was going to ask well, you that. Well, these are things we've said. I mean, <laughs> they should be at the tip of my tongue already. That was really good. Anything? Anything new coming down the line? Like, first of all, <laughs> A, next year's dates. Summer. Summer. Summer in Bozeman, definitely. August. Most likely, yes. Most likely August. August. End of August. End of August. What's today? The 23rd? Uh-huh. Something like that will be the last day of the okay, month. Okay, I'm going to, don't worry, I'm going to have those dates up on the website, but David will be back next year. So, if you have anatomy questions, please come. <laughs> and, and I will give you an answer, and you'll love it. <laughs> so bad. And what else is going on? Uh, my big new project, um, should be rolling out in the next couple weeks is I, you know, I had this sort of bug in me to do a kinesiology course. And so like five years ago, I started creating a kinesiology course and we used a 3D model to show the muscles where they attach. Kinesiology is a study of movement. Classically, when it's taught in school, it's muscles where they attach, meaning their origin, their insertion, and what action they create. So it's something I wanted to do because of course that information is available out there, but what's always missing is somebody to walk you through it. Yes. Somebody to take you through a process of learning. I mean, like this is my thing. I, I hope it's a good thing that, that the process, I think it is, so it, it tends to work. So. I created a whole course that's going to take people through the process of learning all of their muscles. Like origin, insertion, action, which is the foundation for all. The layered on top of that is like functional movement. Layered on top of that is understanding how your body postures are put together, how the asanas fit together, and what's going to get lengthened and what's going to get shortened. You know, it's, that's the fundamental information that I would think you need to know if you really want to understand the more complex interrelationships between tissues and body parts and things like core and all that kind of stuff. You got to know the nuts and bolts. That's, it's like the nuts and bolts part of it. And it's hard to, it's, the information is out there again, but if it's not put into a container that we can go step by step, we'll just never learn it. And it's so I think it's so valuable. It's where I started. So. And when you say 3D, like you, this is a really oh, cool yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. The, the movements the are all. The technology of this is amazing. Yeah. It's good. 
It's not like a 3D iPad app where you move it around and then you just figure stuff out on your own. We used it in conjunction with video and lecture so that we could turn the bones in ways so you could see where the attachments are and then the, you know, the, the body moves to show the movements. That's all 3D animated and it's been... And it really is like a course. Like, this is a no, course. No, no, it's a full-on course. This is a full-on course. 40, I mean, it depends on how you break up, you know, quadriceps, is it four muscles, is it one group, you know, like, all that, I think it's 50-something muscles, it's like the main muscles, it's not like detailed muscles inside the mouth and stuff, I mean, because it's not that functional for the average person, so, anyway, so it's for yoga people, massage therapists, physical therapists, personal trainers, bodybuilders, I don't know, anybody who wants to learn their muscles? Yeah. He's always wanted to learn their muscles. So that's the new thing. That's That should be, by the end of September, for sure, you'll be seeing it. If you're on my newsletter, then you're definitely going to get notified. So that's the new thing. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited too, because I've been watching this process all the way yes. along. So I am actually super excited that yes. it's, it's coming. It's coming out. 3dmusclelab.com. wait, don't you leave just yet. Because I'm excited to share a little something new Megan and I are making for you. It's a yoga practice journal, a field guide to the eight limb path. And inside are seeds of inspiration with space for you to reflect, create, and dig a bit deeper within your own home practice. Now, we've been sharing a few sample pages through our email this past month and we'll continue to share a few more in the weeks coming. But you can also find them on the Ashtanga Dispatch website. Just visit ashtangadispatch.com backslash field guide. And I hope you enjoy these last few weeks of summer. Go out, hike some mountains, swim in the ocean, and of course, pick berries. Because you know, picking berries is always the best. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is written and produced by me, Pegmon Queen, along with Megan Powell. Music by Mark Pilly. Thanks for listening. <laughs>